What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at TalkLouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, TalkLouderPodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we've got a guy guesting on the show named Craig Bearhorst. And if you don't know him, uh, you'll know some of the bands he's affiliated with. He spent time in Law's Rocket, a band called the Ruffians. Uh, he spent time in the Butlers. Um, he's currently he's, in the Butlers. He's currently in the Butlers. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a San Francisco guy, so he grew up in the Bay Area around all the great thrash bands, you know, Exodus, Death Angel, Forbidden, Metallica, Testament. Uh, so a lot of great stories, a lot of interaction with, uh, with a lot of the great bands that went on to huge things. And he is a, has a t-shirt business and just a, just a cool guy with an encyclopedic type knowledge of all things Bay Area, hard rock and heavy metal. He's a metal. great guy. He's an awesome guitar player. He, uh, is a great songwriter. He loves, you know, big, heavy rock. He loves metal. Um, but I think you kind of covered it. He's kind of like one of the scene guys, and he's been there since day one. Um, that means he's actually in uh, and presented in Murder in the Front Row, the book, and yes. later the movie. Was interviewed for the movie, knows... A few of our past guests, Harry Harry Oyman and uh, Harold Harry O, as we say, and uh, uh, Billy Rowe. Um, yes. He probably knows more uh, than that uh, because uh, he's a staple and he's a hell of a guy. I've I'm, I've met him out on the road, whether I was in California recording or uh, you know playing through the the Northern California. He would be there at some of my shows and stuff. Super guy. We always connected. I think that it's uh, it, it it's been an honor to to talk to him today and have him on the show because you know what he's like he's so much like some of our past guests such as the names I've already said. He reminds me of Rodney and Sean just as much as it doesn't surprise me that uh, you know of course that he's friends with with the folk that he's friends with. You know, like I said, Billy Rose. He's known Billy Rose since nineteen eighty or something so yeah yeah always interesting to hear it from the perspective of someone who was there on the ground level um and craig was certainly there on the ground level and uh a great musician is in his own right so we're happy to have him on the show he's going to tell us more about his story ladies and gentlemen craig bearhorst what's yeah, up so craig how you doing, man? You got you got a nice rock room. Uh, so does Jason. Um, Yours doesn't look too bad. I see some uh, some uh, nice gear back there. Yeah, a few Les Pauls, a Telly. Uh, got uh, some uh, the the wall of black and white photos. Heroes over there. Nice. Um, mm. Got Phil and uh, Steve Marriott, Jimmy Page. Uh, uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary Moore. Good stuff. Yeah, man. That's a great shirt you're wearing too. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, well, we were we were just we were just chatting about the shirt, and I you your ears were burning. I know they always are, Dave, uh, because uh, Craig sent me that shirt a while back, and 
I was like, dude, Vardis. And because Vardis is one of the acts on that. That's a, like a show poster. That's an yeah. event shirt, right? <clears throat> yeah. That was like one of, those, one of those things where you looked at, you know, when you're a kid, you'd find the hip um, uh, magazine store. You'd go find the enemy and the sounds magazines. And you'd go in the back immediately and you'd see all the fucking bands that were playing in England in like 1980, 81. And you're like going, oh, Motorhead. Oh, man, like Saxon, they'll never come here. Like, you know, Angel Witch, like all these bands that – you know, you thought that you wouldn't get to see Iron Maiden. Are they ever going to make it to the States? And uh, and I remember seeing this bill in the back of like a Sounds magazine or whatever. Yeah, it's like an ad shows up back there like a like an ad. And yeah. uh, and I said, Vardis in, in what'd you say? White Spirit. What else is on there? Yeah, White Spirit. Yeah, White Spirits. And he said that Yannick, Yannick from Iron Maiden, That's that was his band. Yeah, that's why I know that name. That's yeah. right. What a fucking lineup, huh? This yeah, that's girl school. Yeah, that's sick. <laughs> so, yeah. but, you know, when you own your own T-shirt business, um, when you see something cool, you can make like, you know, three or four of them. So I think uh, I have one of these, my friend Mark DeVito, um, artist, um, Gary Holt, and you. So it's only a handful of them, Jason. Wow. I'm in, I'm in, good, com- I'm in good company. Yes, you so, are. So the... Um, the interesting uh, thing is, and I didn't want to actually lead with this, is that uh, I I wanted to plug. I was planning on doing it later. I wanted to plug your T-shirt printing company, TNT Printing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the clients that you have are they just like? Do you have big uh, contracts, or are you? Are you, I mean, do you? It's your day job. Right. Yeah. 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 It's day job. Um, you know, when I needed a job back in, uh, you know, as a kid and, uh, I was a kid, it's probably like 19 or 20. I started doing that working for a guy. And then, um, my uh, business partner now who's Aaron Jellum, guitar player from Laws rocket. Um, uh, him and I worked together there at this place called uh, graphic traffic. It was some t-shirt shop in Oakland. And, um, so yeah, then we kind of start doing shirts on the side for our friends here and there, our friends' band and all this sort of stuff. And we had um, a guy that we knew, this guy um, named Mark. And Mark was a hustler from Oakland, and he was doing all the NWA shirts. And so we would rent wow. a friend's shop um, uh, so we could go print all these NWA shirts for him. He'd run them from Oakland down to Compton and um, come back you know, give us the money. And so we started saving our money to buy equipment so we could start our own t-shirt shop because, you know, we like the fact of, uh, you know, we weren't making any money uh, playing music. So <laughs> and, imagine uh, that. Yeah. They, uh, very, very little, <laughs> yeah, very, very little. Um, but um, so, yeah, we started doing that and we we're like going NWA. Okay. And I didn't, I wasn't really hip to them too much, but Aaron kind of heard about them. And we're printing this like a shirt that was drawn up a character of all the guys. It was like drawn by one of their friends. It was like Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Yella. I'm like, well, who's a, who's a Yella and a Dr. Dre? Like, you know, and uh, well, so, yeah, you, didn't, you didn't know yet. None of us knew yet what was yeah. about to <clears throat> fucking go down, you Take know? Over. Yeah. This was, this was early, early on, man. I mean, this is the first shirts that these guys made. And, uh, and so, um, 
Yeah, it was pretty funny. So the heavy metal uh, kids um, started their shop with money from uh, NWA, kind of. That's kind of how that worked out. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Dre and Cube, for yeah, yeah, getting that going, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, now so, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I am i couldn't be happier that they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame myself because, dude, those guys are hardcore. They're, those they're guys can fucking, fucking rock. So Thanks I think that they're well, well-deserving. Because they so broke, kind of, all, yeah, that's they broke kind of, a lot of rules, man. Yeah, yeah. They definitely did. They were, they were, they were outlaws for sure. Yes. But, um, but yeah, that's how we started our, our T-shirt business. Wow. And uh, been doing that over the years and managing to, uh, you know, have a business and, uh, you know, play music as well and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, you got to be the owner if you're going to, you know, leave and go on tour for three weeks in Europe or something. Sure. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. It's so, something your friend uh, Billy Rowe knows very well, right? Yeah. Billy, yeah. Billy's managing it quite well, man. Yeah. He's got a very successful guitar company, Rock and Roll Relics, and it's yeah. really taken off, man. And uh, yeah, he's able to still do the, um, you know, go out and play with Buck Cherry now. So yeah, really happy for him. He's, uh, he's killing it. Yeah. I saw him yeah. about six weeks ago. Uh, Buck Cherry came through Texas, and I went to the show and got to hang out and talk to him for a little while. And I asked him, you know, how's the business uh, running while you're – it was the first night of the tour, actually. I said, you're going to be out for about a month or six weeks. How's the business going back home? And he goes, well, you know, you hire some guys you can trust, and uh, you check in every day and just, you know, make it happen. And I guess he's doing that, so – Good for well, him. He's the good boss. Yeah. 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 He's, got, so, he's got a couple of good guys. One guy that's been with him for a long time. So he's making some cool. nice guitars, man. Yeah. yeah Scott, uh, Scott Dalhoover from Dangerous Toys, he's he's a, a builder as well and has a little company and, and his guitars are they're fucking awesome. And yeah. uh, all the guys on the toys play them, you know, plays play them. Mike on bass and and Paul. That's all Paul plays exclusively now, uh, and of course Scott. But the the point was that uh, Scott and uh, Billy, I saw them on the ship multiple times, just like in each other's face, going dude, da -da 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 -da, just talking yeah, yeah. guitar builder nerd shit. <laughs> and I was like, stand back, everyone, just. Yeah, be an explosion yeah. here in a minute. So you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, talking, yeah. they're talking about five hundred k pots and like you know, uh, uh, right. 0.22 uh, 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 value capacitors, and everybody else is like, woo. <laughs> but they're also talking about fret wire. Yeah, sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. gotta okay. have frets. Yeah, yeah. Okay, real quick, not to interject, but like, no. how was how was the cruise, man? Um, uh, it. It was probably, I've done about 10 of them now. Mm -hmm. I did like four or five with broken teeth and I've done like four or five now with the toys. And uh, I, I was saying this on my first cruise with broken teeth, which is, seems like forever ago. Um, because I've, you know, I've, I've only done them like, you know, they, you do one and then it's two years later, two and a half years later, you get to do another one and then, a year and a half and you do another one and so on and so on so you know that that ate up you know 15 years right so right. this is probably the best one um i don't know if it's because the world shut down and everyone's just hungry to do it uh you know and and drinking the punch so to speak in order to do it yeah i'll do whatever just get me out of the fucking house i want to see some rock and roll <laughs> yeah. but you know i gotta say 
um, uh, and I've said this a thousand times after I did a couple of them, it's a, it's kind of saving rock and roll because a lot of, um, our people, rock fans and rock bands of a certain age can't necessarily, who didn't like sell quite enough records to just, yeah, yeah, I'm going on tour for a year, you know, and that, you know, sustainability didn't, didn't get to invited to that party for whatever reason. Um, the cruises, the, the monsters of rock cruise in particular, I feel like is saving rock and roll in a big way as, as well as all the other cruises, the kiss cruise, uh, the mega cruise, the motorboat, uh, the, the, uh, the 200 tons of steel or whatever, you know, or the, the extreme metal cruise or whatever it's say to just to put it in a box. It's 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 saving rock and roll because all of the bands, whether it be five bands or forty bands, because the monsters thing is like you saw the the lineup. It's like I get tired reading the back of the event shirt. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm serious. There's like yeah. forty bands on there. You're like, what the? Yeah. is spin it. How are they going to cram all this into five days? Will they fucking do it? So it's what a was festival. One, of the, what were the, one of the highlight bands that that you saw? What uh, who was on there that you that you really dug? Um, well, uh, you know, I I only got to stick my head into Buck Cherry for a couple songs, but they were a highlight. Of course, Alice. I saw Alice both nights, uh, and that he's mind blowing all the time. Yeah, and uh, I saw Rhino Bucket, of course. Didn't you have uh, Rhino the, Bucket on stage with you? Or George, uh, at least? No, uh, Scott pulled George up on the first night in the theater. Okay. And um, we put a guitar on him and spun him around and watched him go, and it was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, let's see, uh, Kicks, of course. Saw Kicks a couple times. <laughs> Those guys uh, been around for a long time, man. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, they're kings. You know, everybody steals from them. Everyone who plays any kind of butt rock has stolen from those guys. And they can still do it. They're kings. They're they're definitely like they're not they're knights of the round table of rock, you know. Seventies, man. They started in the seventies. That's right. That's right. Well the the second night they played like a bunch of shit off the first record. And I was talking to Jimmy Chalfont, the drummer, and and he was like, "Dude, those songs are hard to play. There's some songs on there I I can barely. I'm like, how did I go? Oh shit, missed it. You know, he's like, he was telling me the scoop, and it, it was just a delight. But I think that these cruises are saving rock and roll because you don't have to hit the road, and you get to play two or three shows and meet your fans one on one. The pay is good, if not great." yourself there's a merch table a mile long it's a festival on a ship cool yeah it's great that's great man it sounds like you guys had a good time yeah it's great there's a lot of bands that canceled yt rose tattoo you know Uh, one of the guns michael monroe yep yeah some of the some of the heavy hitters man those would have been great bands some of the cool underground favorites yeah had to had to let it go because just because they weren't ready to do it yet i guess huh or covid well well, i guess they're overseas so they have um, to go through through too many customs and if you you have to test every time you go through a customs check And I so, know in the, what, in the case of L.A. Guns, it was COVID. Uh, Tracy, I guess, lives in Denmark now, and his kid brought home COVID from school, mm, and the whole okay. family got COVID. And mm. so Tracy wasn't going to uh, test positive 
or I'm sorry, he wasn't going to test negative. So the LA guns had to pull out. I don't know about the other bands, but I know that's the case with LA guns. It's, it's Y&T, safe. man. Y&T, uh, uh, hometown favorites here. Yeah. They're, they're like blue, blue collar rock and roll guys. Yes. That's, they're, they're a big inspiration to me when I was growing up here. They're, king, they're kings like kicks. Been around forever, been yeah. doing it forever, and just kick ass all Still the great. time. Dave, Dave is like, a, he's a Bay Area treasure, man. I yes. Mean, he's one of those talented yeah. guys come out of the Bay Area. I mean, yes. Yeah. He's, and he's, and he's, and he's, uh, you know, he's been doing all the heavy lifting in that band for years. And that's yeah. why they're able to still do it with, you know, out, you know, unfortunately all three of the other original members passed away, but, uh, right. And he's, he's still holding the torch, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been in bands that have covered his shit. Yeah. Like Watchtower used to cover Y&T, dude. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> we did, we did Hurricane uh i swear we did another one but i remember doing hurricane because we did it every gig until yeah. we till we didn't do it f sharp heavy yeah <laughs> yes so, so good Craig, let's let, let's introduce craig to our our listeners and give them a sense of who it is we're talking to because we just kind of got lost on the backyard yeah, barbecue yeah let's do that but i want to i want to say this right now there is a huge reason that's sort of like this whole uh like you know there's a reason that he's here. And the reason that he's here is that Craig is one of us. You know, he's like one of our friends, Dave. He's like Sean Weingartner or Rodney Dunsmore or something like that. But he's also uh, an excellent uh, documented uh, musician. And he's he's not just a dude in a band. He's the dude in, in a band. And <laughs> Craig, we just, I, I just, I really just wanted to like hang out with you on our show for many, many, many reasons. And, and we've got a couple of stories we can tell, but I want Dave to sort of like cut the cake and get, get into your world real quick. Yeah. So, so for people listening uh, and watching, we've got Craig, uh, with, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Bearhorst. Bearhorst. Craig Bearhorst and uh, San Francisco guy, San Francisco area. And uh, as such, has played in a number of bands from that area and has also, um, you know, kind of hobnobbed with a lot of the bands that we're familiar with. Of course, San Francisco being a hotbed of hard rock and especially thrash. You've got Exodus, Death Angel, Testament, Metallica, uh, Possessed, Violence, the list goes on and on. And uh, you're friends with Billy Rowe. I know you play in the Butlers and uh were you, i think you might have been in a version of uh you were in Laws rocket for uh a, a moment or a little while uh maybe american heartbreak with billy rowe um no not not american heartbreak but yeah i i am a few bands over the over the years i started off uh first band that i played that you guys would know was Laws rocket at the very beginning yeah um and that was a short spell um me and michael coons and uh, aaron jellum um well yeah, we'd start the band and uh i was still in high school I was a pretty young guy and then um that didn't work out and um what year was that what's that what year was that i'm just trying to it date you been like um 82 yeah yeah yeah, yeah oh, like, wow like yeah i think the majority like all of 82 so, something something like that and then um and then oh. right after that Go ahead, Jason. Oh, what was the style and what were some, maybe some of the cover songs you were doing in 82? Because, yeah, that was right when I was just kind of getting started myself. And I know what I was covering. You never forget, right? 
What songs were you guys yeah, doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, of course we're doing stuff like, you know, um, Breaking the Law, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, but, man, we got into originals pretty quick, man. We're writing our own stuff, um, you know, right out of the gate. And um, uh, started playing all the clubs, you know, started playing a couple backyard parties. And then we got into clubs and we were playing, um, you know, the old Waldorf, which was like a um, sort of historic place in San Francisco. And we were playing yeah. Keystone, Keystone, Berkeley and, and all those sort of places. And, um, and then, yeah, we played um, uh, the second time Metallica came up from L.A. We played with them and that was at the old Waldorf and it was um, uh, they played before us, which was yeah. like, kinda, you know, because we kind of already been playing up here. We had our fan base and all that. And they were from out of town. <laughs> and that's with Ron McGovney. Yeah. Yeah. Ron. Dave Mustaine. Uh, Dave, Dave Mustaine's yeah. playing guitar. And uh, yeah, that was, it was cool. Um, I, uh, I saw their sound check and I was like, Ooh, man, like I hadn't seen a band uh, uh, play, uh, you know, with that many sort of different time signatures playing that fast, not a band, not a local band anyway. You know, and they weren't local yet, and uh, so I was like, "Oh man, what we're we're in for we're in for a surprise here, dude!" And so they had their heavy fan base because you know, of course, Ron Quintana really pushing them on Rampage Radio, and they'd mm -hmm. been up here one time before they played the Stone, but um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. And then you know, got to know um, you know those guys and stuff, uh, and then after that, I started the band Ruffians, and that was with. Um, uh, few, you know, Berkeley guys that I grew up with. And, um, uh, Carl Albert was the singer in that band and, um, who went on to be the singer in uh, vicious Rupert, vicious rumors after. Yeah, Ruffy. that's right. Yeah. 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 So that was, uh, like around, uh, 83, 84, we put out an album in 85 ruffians did, and, uh, we put it out ourselves and, uh, it was released on SPV records in Europe and re yeah. released on uh, that FEMS label in Japan. And so, um, yeah, Ruffians was my band, uh, sort of like the mid eighties to the late eighties. And, um, yeah, you guys we were you, in all of the fanzines and stuff that, that watchtower was like aching to get into, you guys were already in there. Yeah, we 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 got a lot of coverage, man. Ruffians did uh, in um, in Europe and and Japan, and uh, yeah, we just did the underground approach, man. And uh, you know, we had a good distribution in, in the states uh, to put out the record and uh, and getting signed to like you know pretty decent labels in both Japan and and uh, Europe. Uh, yeah, it was cool, man. Um, we had fun, and we we're doing we we're doing the the we we're doing heavy metal. You know, I mean, yeah. it was like melodic metal with Carl Albert. I mean, he's great fucking singer. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, the thrash kind of came along and, um, you know, we got kind of left in the dust by that. And um, we had some heavy stuff, but, um, you know, we didn't really, you know, I, I sat down with uh, a couple people and, you know, with with a label um, that was like a label that we both know out of L.A., at the time that was, uh, uh, you know, metal blades and, and, you know, Hey man, well, if you can kind of do this and do this, like we're, you know, they, people, they, they wanted to identify Barry bands with kind of thrash, but it wasn't really our thing. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have felt natural for us to go, okay, we're going to play thrash all of a sudden. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Would so, you yeah. say that, would you say that laws rocket was coming up, was happening the same time that the ruffians were happening and, and laws rocket considered a thrash band or not? Nah? 
I don't know. I would say that uh, Laws Rocket, yeah, they were they were they were signed to. Um, uh, who did they sign on to? Target. Uh, Target. Yeah, Texas label, right? Uh, I don't know don't where know they're based that. out of. I know Legs Diamond, uh, the Out on Bail record is on Target, and I know City's Gonna Burn is on Target. I don't know, honestly, much else on that label. Yeah, I don't know where they're based. Yeah, but I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, they were doing their thing, man, and, and like, you know, all, all the thrash bands, you know, bands like, you know, whatever. I mean, Exodus or Forbidden or, um, uh, you know, People like are possessed. I mean, these guys were like, you know, they were love laws rocket, man. I mean, uh, they, 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 they loved, you know, ruffians and we we're, you know, inspiration to them because we we're kind of there before, but no, those bands came yeah. along and, uh, um, you know, th those guys have said that, Oh man, fuck. I remember going to seeing ruffians at like Keystone Berkeley and all sort of stuff. And they came along and did their thing and, and, uh, got signed in the thrash movement and, and they were great bands, you know, I mean, uh, you know, all those bands that got signed out of the Bay Area around that time. But but to answer your question, um, I think it was sort of borderline with with uh, Lost Rocket. And uh, I don't know if they're going in that thrash, you know, they're more melodic. And uh, whether that, you know, ended up... I, would, I always thought, not to interrupt again, but yeah, uh, yeah. that it, we talk over each other all the time. So it does. <laughs> um, We're excited, rock and roll. Yes, that's right. That's right. I feel like wait, we're wait, trying wait. to we're trying to hang out for ten hours in like an hour and a half. So, the uh, the the you know the Laws Rocket uh, stuff that I've heard just throughout that time period seemed to be heavy metal like the ruffians it didn't seem to be that th but i see it listed sometimes under thrash monikers mm -hmm. and um that's why i even brought that up and i just i just know that both bands were kind of like predecessors to the thrash movement um it leads me to ask a question did did you know the guys in exodus and and mordred and stuff like that coming up through high school kind of a thing were you guys all forming young bands around the same time well everybody was sort of like you know we were all forming bands at the age of like you know um uh 16 i mean you know 16 well, so yeah. people were still in high school so when you're still or in high school or like nine if you think death angel yeah yeah, yeah. everybody's still in high school right so, <laughs> yeah. so like there's like the berkeley dudes right which were kind of like uh um you know, like Milos Rocket guys. And then there was like, you know, um, maybe like the Marin guys from like San Rafael, Marin County that were like the Vicious Rumors guys. And then, so everybody kind of started meeting by playing the clubs together. Yeah, um, in the city? Then, in the city? Yeah, yeah, yeah mostly yeah. in the city. So yeah. a lot of the East Bay guys, the Exodus, you know, um, uh, Violence Forbidden or, or, or um, you know, those bands, you know, they, we'd go to San Francisco, and I remember when, when I was like in Laws, we'd go to San Francisco and start playing these shows. Then we meet, we meet like the the, the SF dudes, right? Like Anvil Course, right? Like you know, predecessor, you know, band that was playing before. They were very sort of proggy, almost like a like a saga band. Wow. And Doug Piercy, are you familiar with Anvil Course, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so everybody started kind of meeting each other, you know. But I was uh. But like, you know, when I was when I was in laws, I remember playing with Exodus. I mean, I was in high school. We played like a, a park in, in Richmond. And this was an Exodus as a four piece. Right. It was Kirk on guitar, Kirk Hammett. And it was uh, Jeff Andrews on bass, 
Tom Honey played drums and Gary Hole on guitar. Tom Honey was the singer. Really? And, yeah, yeah. He was the singer. It was a four-piece. That was before they got Bailoff. And I already knew. I already knew Bailoff because Aaron Jellum, my business partner and guitar player from Laws Rocket, uh-huh. grew up with Paul Bailoff in, in a small town in Kensington, right by Berkeley. And so we started going to parks and drinking beer and Bailoff, man, he was just a character. I mean, he he knew his metal too, man, you know? And uh, and, uh, and we had another close friend, uh, that was a friend I met through um, uh, those guys, Aaron and Paul Bailoff, which was Mark Whitaker. And Mark Whitaker. I know that name. Yeah. yeah, managed Exodus at the beginning and um, worked with Metallica. And he worked on the first two um, Metallica albums. And he, he had a Metallica house. That was his house. He just ended up letting the guys, you know, live there. And, oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah. So Mark Whitaker was. Uh, El Cerrito. El, El Cerrito. Yeah. El Cerrito kind of. Yeah. So, so I grew up with those guys, kind of East Bay guys, you know, and, and, uh, and then. Um, uh, Mark, that's a uh, Carl, Carlson Boulevard, right? Carlson Boulevard house. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot dude. of good times there, man. A lot of good parties. But I remember, I bet, and I, I, I wanted to, I don't want to forget about that. The Metalla Mansion story. Surely you've got one or two or five. Yeah, yeah. There's good times there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it, they all ended up in the kitchen drunk. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, but uh, <laughs> on the table, most parties there's 40 people in the kitchen the size of like you know 10 people can fit in it, right? Yeah, now, I don't know why all the good parties end up in the kitchen because that's well, where the of, fridge is. Yeah, it's where the fridge is, it's the heart, it's the heart of the house, <laughs> absolutely. See, Dave, Dave fucking knows, man. It's Dave a little name is Budweiser. But yeah, man, that was everybody kind of knew each other at an early age and started playing shows and um, uh, together and just having a good time. Super and, fun, uh, man. Yeah. I wanted to go back real quick to Laws Rocket. Uh, Jason's question about, you know, were they or were they not considered part of the thrash scene? And I always sort of equated them uh, much like uh, an armored saint or a Lizzie Borden mm-hmm. that was sort of more of a new wave of British heavy metal, sort of a power metal thing, but kind of also shared bills with a lot of bands that were thrash and therefore kind of got sort of lumped into the scene. But I always felt Law's Rocket was a little more melodic than thrashy. And they they remind, you know, it reminds me a, a bit of, like I said, Armored Saint, Lizzie Borden, that type of thing, where it's still heavy metal, no doubt. But I'd stop short of calling it thrash myself, even though they shared bills with Metallica and stuff like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, when you when you kind of lump them in, you know, whether the thrash or not, I mean, you know, I think that yeah, maybe you're from the Barry. They're part of that movement, so it's borderline. So some people label it thrash. I mean, I just think it's called like you know, heavy metal. I mean, yeah, melodic sure. metal. Um, but yeah, I think those bands a lot of good singers. You know what I mean? You yeah. Think about it. I yeah. Mean, uh, I mean, John Bush, I and mean, what a fucking voice. Yeah. Yeah, well, no and Lizzie, Lizzie's and fucking that, great, that too. Guy was a great singer, too, man. I mean, what yeah. a range that guy had. And then, but John Bush, just a God-given voice. He was just, yes. God gave him, like, soul. Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I, I've always singer. thought that that John was a, he's one of my idols. And uh, I luckily uh, sort of befriended him and was introduced to him by James. Yeah. Uh, and, um the uh the crazy thing is is i've always thought that he was like this steven tyler meets ronnie james dio now whether that's even close to correct you think about what those singers can do vocally and you go see john and then there's no argument 
Whether you think that they that he sounds like those guys had a baby or not, he he's a bad motherfucker. A little Paul Rogers in there too. Which I agree one hundred percent. He's I like a, Paul Rogers. I think, and you know, I mean, Paul Uzi. Rogers, Paul Rogers is kind of like you know, if you think, I mean, he's, he might be my number one fave of all time. Yeah, he's I pretty. Think, he's pretty great singer. Yeah, uh, yeah, but um. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I got a chance to, you know, we, John Bush, they had, uh, Metallica got, Metallica had asked John Bush to join the band years ago. And mm-hmm. I was there thinking, oh, man, maybe we need to get a front man to go the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. And I think James was maybe, you know, a little not totally comfortable with his voice, got, you know, you know, maybe just want to concentrate on guitar or whatever. And then, you know, John turned him down. Like, hey, man, I got my own band on insane, you know. And those guys got signed on early to Chrysalis. I mean, they got yeah. signed, like, you know, one of the earlier heavy metal bands. Keep grabbing my guitar pick or something here. I got to put it over here. <laughs> I'm gonna pick up a guitar and start jamming. This is like where I sit and play guitar all the time, right? Yeah, I, but I feel like you're you're you kind of touched on something just to nerd out on the saint for a second. It is it is a fact that when you really think about, it, I mean, that March of the Saint came out in summer '84, late late '84, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that means that their deal could have been inked by late 83. No, I think, yeah, no, yeah. I think they the first album might have been like, yeah, 83. 83. Um, I, I want to say that they had an out there, 83. Because they came out before before Metallica's Kill Em All, I want to say. They had no, an EP because they, before an album. The EP, that was on Metal Blade. So, so yeah. March of the Saint was on, on Chrysalis, and, and they I saw them uh, tour. They were on the Ride the Lightning tour. Yeah, but real quick before to go back, you know. So it yes. always been like, oh wow, like what would Metallica be with uh, uh, John Bush? You know, I mean, you know, it all worked out perfectly that he was well, yeah, it wasn't bad. But when Metallica does did those thirty anniversary shows at the Fillmore, I think they played. I think it was three nights or something. Yeah, they had all the heroes come up. Everybody from you know. Uh, uh, Rob Halford to John Bush, but John Bush sang Four Horsemen with them. So that night, you got a chance to hear what Metallica would have sounded like with John Bush, and he sang Four Horsemen, and it was pretty special. Wow! You know, wow. I mean, they, they had band, they had people like you know, like I said, Halford or um, um, uh, why can't I think of Diamondhead singer now? Harris, you know? Yeah, Brian. Brian yeah. And, yeah. and all these guys, no, they, Sean, Sean, Sean Harris, Harris yeah, yeah. Yep, and Atler yep. played played with them, and yeah. um, and uh, uh, King, the King came out and sang, and those guys are it was amazing to hear all that sort of stuff. But it was kind of special with the John Bush thing, knowing the history of how that kind of happened. You know, it was neat. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Wow. and the, they knew, and they knew him from from L.A. It was interesting for them to reach out just a couple of years later and go, "Well, man, what are we going to do?" You know, because. Um, you know, it, 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 it would have changed. Things worked out. Like you said, yeah. leave that yeah. alone. Yeah. I can't, that's the uh, go <laughs> down a black yeah, hole. Just trying to, cos- it would change the cosmos, man. It would have been. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to mind. <laughs> bend. I don't want to mind bend on that any longer, but I, I recall that very, very well. And then anthrax got him later. And I talked to John about that and he was like, well, you know, I didn't, it's like the second to be asked by one of the big four, I guess you could say now, you know, the second time I'm not going to turn it down. And I have full support from, 
from the saint guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, the timing was right on that. Yeah. yeah. Different circumstances. Yeah. At that time, Armored Saint was, you know, more or less kind of inactive. And, you know, I understand why Bush turned down Metallica because Armored Saint was was basically an up and coming band that had a lot of potential. And he had every right to believe that we got every, you know, every bit of a shot as Metallica. So, uh why not stay where I am? These are my brothers. And I mean, didn't Bush go to high school with all those guys? Oh, yeah, so it's like, know each other. I think they're like, they're like, yeah. And then, so, Armand, you know, brothers, those guys know each other. They're like the, they're like the death angel of, uh, of LA. Yeah, yeah like exactly. Cousins or something like that. Exactly. I don't, I don't know if they were all, I think they were, they were of the age and, and, and probably hung out, but I, but they're Pasadena boys, Armored Saint. Uh, yeah. And, and I Can't think, yeah. James was uh, like Downing or somewhere. Yeah, yeah but I, you know, people look back in hindsight, of course, and say, oh, my God, how did you turn down Metallica? But you have to remember, Metallica was just a bar band, just like Armored Saint at that That's time. Right. So, and, you know, he Slayer was loyal. too. So, yeah. And he was loyal to his brothers and, and, yeah. and uh, Armored Saint was a promising band on the scene. You know, and then you fast forward 30, 35 years later and Anthrax is asking you to join. Well, by now, Anthrax is super established and Armored Saint is kind of, you know, on hiatus. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a no brainer. Kind of a timing thing, too. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah, let's talk. I, I, I saw um, uh, Bush with the Anthrax. We played that Banger Head Festival, Ruffians mm -hmm. played Banger Head Festival in 2004. And they're on the same bill. And that was a real treat, man, to see, yeah. to see him sing with them. And, uh, and we I, saw I, that a few times, me and Jason. Yeah. yeah. Bush with anthrax. Yeah. Yeah. Those were some good years that he put in with them and yeah, uh, kept, kept them very relevant, kept them very oh, relevant. Let's talk. You just mentioned uh, ruffians plan, the German festivals. Uh, that is like this coveted thing for your, what you want me to get my old band back together and come play some shows in Germany. Hey guys, guess what? My phone just rang, or I got an email, and so and so wants us to get the band back together. And blah blah blah. blah. We better print some shirts and practice. Right, right. And so <laughs> that's how it went down, and it was pretty wild. And that so and so is a mutual friend of ours, Jurgen Chomler. Oh wow! Yes, yes. So, so Jurgen's was uh, uh, um, a journalist, and he and he had. Um, interviewed me back in the eighties and ruffians for like German magazines. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I remember getting, being interviewed by him, like, Oh man, this guy has some really interesting questions different than the, you know, than some of the other people. And so, um, fast forward 2003, I think it was maybe early 2002, 2003, he would did an article like, where, where are they now? So sort of these cult cult mm -hmm. bands like ruffians, you know, mm -hmm. that had in, you know, releases that were, you know, semi-popular um in europe and so um so that kind of came out and then you know fast a year or so later uh we get the call him he gets in touch with me asking if we'll uh get the band together to play bang your head festival play the warm-up show and all that so i was pretty blown away so i called up the other guitar player chris atchison in ruffians i said hey chris man i said you know we'd always joke about this anyway on the phone hey we're getting the band back together so i think i called him up and i said hey dude so check this out man blah 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 we're getting the band back together he's all shut up man i gotta go i'll call you later he hangs up on me right and so i called him up again you know and i'm like no seriously man we're getting the band back together he goes, dude I'll, I'll call you lego so i had to t i had to wait wait so uh it was pretty mind-bending 
um, to uh, be able to play a festival of that stature. And um, so we did it, man. I had to put you put your mindset back to where you're like, you know, 17, 18 years old, uh, get the right hand moving a little faster. And uh, we practice and, and we got as many original members as we could. And um, yeah, we went over there and played, man. We played a club show with Death Angel the night yeah. before the festival. And man, I couldn't believe it, dude. We played this club show. It was just insane. And people were singing all the lyrics to the, to, to the, to the first album. And we sold all this merch and people were like, I can't believe you're here. And uh, so it was just very heartwarming, you know? Yeah, sure. um, and we played the festival the next day. And then, that led to re-releases um, with unreleased tracks, uh, Live from the Stone in 85 with Carl and all this sort of cool. stuff like that. And um, yeah, we ended up doing a whole other album, um, which came out in 2006. And then uh, we got a few tours out of the deal. And it was really neat to be able to do that again and reconnect uh, with the guys. Yeah. Well, when, when, when Ruffians was around initially, uh, what was the what was your status on the local scene? Were you guys like headlining clubs or were you kind of the opening band for, for bigger touring bands that were coming through? How, how big were you in the, in your, in your local area? Both. We would headline the clubs when we'd play, we'd do a weekend gig and we'd play the stones or whatever. Um, and, um, so we'd headline clubs. We'd also support uh, a lot of national acts that came through. I mean, like a loudness, Y and T, uh, Alcatraz, Dawkin, um, I mean, just, I can't think of them all, but yeah. any bands that would be playing, you know, Vandenberg or I mean, whatever, any band that was playing the tour circuit. Then. Vandenberg was on the boat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great guitar player. So we yeah, we'd get those support slots, man. And, um, and, uh, and do headline shows. We'd go down to LA and play sometimes too. We'd play places like the waters club down there. We'd play, um, the Troubadour, uh, Gazaris and all those places too. Right. So, um, yeah, just mostly up and down the West coast, you know, the band really never broke on a, on a national level. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what we, what we were doing. Well, it was always, uh, uh, the demos and recordings of you guys were just as sought after as Metallica demos as, as anybody, you know, would would think <clears throat> it's interesting. I want to go back to uh, it doesn't. By the way, it doesn't surprise me that you guys got an invite to go play those festivals because mm -hmm. if you think back of all the early fanzines and the tape trading and the things like that, you guys were one of those bands. You mm -hmm. guys were one of. It, don't sell yourself short ever because you never know when the phone is going to ring or you get an email. You know, it's a completely different world now. Um, doesn't just doesn't surprise me. Uh, Keep it true, bang your head festivals. Those are like homecomings for heavy metal fans and the bands that they dreamed of seeing and never got to see because of you know it's on the other side of the globe. It's like here's San Francisco and here's Germany. You can't. It doesn't work because you know some of us didn't sell enough records to be this you know boom kind of mega thing so fans are incredibly powerful and the ones who are fans who have the tenacity and maybe the pockets to put together a festival that's as long running as those festivals are holy yeah. crap 
Keep it true. It was really, it was really special. Amazing. And it was just, uh, I was, yeah, man, I just was really felt really humble to be uh, invited to play those things. And, you know, we, I met some good, good friends and people I still stay in contact with, man. Um, a few people, uh, especially Jurgen um, and uh, a couple of other guys that are, uh, you know, really close and really big supporters of the band, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's special. Yeah. How did how did you meet um how did you meet Billy Rowe and then and tell us a little bit about your Good involvement question. in the Butlers? Yeah, so Bill, oh, Billy, I mean I, you know, San Francisco guy. Um, he played in a band Jet Boy yeah, back in the day, and we're on the same bill at the Stone. It was Ruffians and Jet Boy played together, and um, we already kind of knew of each other, and um, and. Yeah, we we kind of we connected that night. I remember we shared the same backstage room, and we just you know him and I are talking about whatever, man. Like you know, Aerosmith to you know Motorhead, to, yeah, like you know. So we can, some we can of the same it. some of the same conversations that I've had with you in different parts of whatever are the same <laughs> conversations I've had with Billy Rowe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, at, at some point it's like, we're going to have to like do that in, you know, get together somewhere and hang out and have tea in person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A, a rock summit. Yeah. But yeah so Billy met. And then, so it's two different bands sort of they're glam and the ruffians is like heavy metal. So yeah. we're, you know, we're on the same bill and, um, and uh, glam, glam or not, I mean, those guys, were, those guys are fucking hard rockers, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I remember my, my sister Lori was managing the band Ruffians at that time. And I just remember, you fuckers, get out, get out of here with all that hairspray, man. You're, you're, you know, we can't breathe in here. The signal, Carl's got to warm up, you know. And, you know, Lori just giving up shit, just being Lori, like in a really lighthearted, fun way. And uh, everybody's laughing. We just had a good time. But, um, but yeah, me and Billy would kind of cross paths. And then... Um, Another one of my um, uh, closest friends is Eric Lannan, and he played drums in American Heartbreak. Him and Billy grew up together as kids. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like grade school, you know. Yeah. So um, there was connection there. And so, yeah, Billy, we'd, we'd always cross paths. We wouldn't see each other all the time. But then um, and he was down in L.A. I'd go down to L.A., run into him at, you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Cat House or something like that. And um then he moves back to San Francisco and we're at, um, he's, he has, he had always had a 4th of July barbecue. So him and I are there talking and I had already set in with like American heartbreak once or twice jamming with them, you know, on an Aerosmith song or something. And so we're all like, Hey man, let's get a band together is uh, him and I and Eric Land and standing around, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll, you know, like we start off, we'll play, you know, songs of all our favorite bands and, uh, and so, yeah, we said, okay, so we did it and uh, just to have fun with it, man. And all these people started coming to our shows. We're playing Alice Cooper. We're playing Thin Lizzy. We're playing uh, UFO. We're, it's like, you know, it's like a kegger party music, right? But we're not playing the, 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 the singles, right? We're playing the B-sides a little bit more something. You know, we're doing this for us, right? Yeah. And uh, yep. so, yeah, so that's how the Butlers came up. And Mike, Buck, Mike, Michael Butler, who played bass in American uh, Heartbreak, played bass. And um, and Graham Shaw is the vocalist, great singer. So we just started doing that. And then all our friends would sit in. And we've had Chuck Billy from Testament sit in. We've had Phil Demmel from uh, uh, Machine Head sit in. Dave Root from Tesla sits in. Um, 
I mean, uh, Rob Cavasani from Death Angel. So all our friends will come sit in with us. And it's and it's it's a really fun thing, man. I mean, we've been doing it for a while. Now. We thought it was just going to be a couple of years, but we have so much fun. <laughs> and we don't have to practice <laughs> too much. So right. we just got to keep going. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it sounds, sounds awesome. It sounds like a really cool, like, uh, you, you know, not dare I say Hollywood vampires, but it sounds like a, a, a Bay Area hub, uh, a, a round table of sorts, you know, where you guys get together and like, it's like a bro hug that you all kind of need and you don't know you need it until you hear that song. And you look around and there's all your brothers, you know, there's all your friends and your family, your wives, your girlfriends, everybody who's uh, from the scene kind of, I love that kind of shit. I'm almost really? shedding a tear. It's important. That's important. I, I love the fact that the focus is on is I love the fact that the focus is on the deep cuts. Cause I mean, if you're going to do Judas priest, you know, we've all heard living after midnight a million times, you know, let's hear grinder or something like that, you know, or even deeper than that. So I love the fact that you're 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 focusing on some of the deeper cuts because that speaks to the nerds in the band, but it also is welcome to the ears of the nerds that are in the audience. <laughs> I would love to see that band. That sounds like something I would enjoy on a Saturday night. Yeah, we'll play. We'll we'll do like Wings. Maybe I'm amazed. And oh then, yeah. And then right after that, we're going to like Don't Believe a Word or something. Like you know, it's it's all beautiful. It all has to be seventies. I think. I think the only '80s that we go to, and we stop at we stop at to do a stop at High and Dry. So we do like Lady Strange, mm -hmm. uh, you know. It's <laughs> great stuff, man. Well, it's that that early albums. that early stuff that that was like uh, the genesis of what those bands probably became, or whether they just stuck with that same tone or timber of songwriting. Um, is is of no importance at all. But but I think that it's that what uh makes people happy is when they realize oh my god they played dreamer deceiver yeah. oh my god they played you know like i've never heard that def leppard song it's like well it's because you weren't alive when that song came out it's not your fault you know whatever yeah. and yeah. so i think that there's even though there's that genesis factor there's also something that you're still turning people on to good shit. Yeah, this is when Aerosmith was good. This yeah. is called Seasons of Wither. You know, so <laughs> shit like that. So yeah, yeah, that's that. good. You're keeping something alive within yourselves, as well as uh, kind of bringing it in for a big hug. I think that's great. It is for sure. And it's funny because me and Billy came into it, and we're primarily rhythm guitar players. Billy and I, you know, come from a songwriting mm -hmm. rhythm guitar player approach. And, uh, and the rhythms were just like, I mean, fucking tight, you know? And then yeah. but we're like, oh man, okay, who's going to take the lead? Billy Camino, I don't want to take the lead. You know, I don't want to take the lead. So, <laughs> so we had to start learning like these, you know, and it, and it, it made us, you know, better guitar players a little bit, learning some sure. stuff. And, you know, when you're learning, oh, this is how Rick Nielsen thinks from Cheap Trick. And this is how it's, it's kind of neat to, to, to do that, you know? Yeah, so, Rick, Nielsen, Rick Nielsen's not really a lead guitarist. And no. a lot of people forget that. Yeah, he, we, there's a, a lot of uh, and and some mental stuff he comes up with. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that guy thinking? And and yeah. Uh, yeah, he's just like he's like an idiot savant, man. He's he's yeah. a genius. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cheap trick that doesn't have the common guitar solo, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Speaking of uh, the Butlers, and you mentioned bass player Michael Butler. He he was in Exodus for a bit, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Um, uh, he recorded an album. I can't remember the 
was um it was um the album with the um Ralph Steadman artwork, the guy that the Hunter S. Thompson guy that did the artwork, Phil mm. uh, what's the name of that album? Um not Impact is imminent, but um it was Force of Habit. Okay. So Michael Butler plays on the Force of Habit Exodus album. That's when they got uh, signed to Capitol. Um, they did that album in England. And um, I think Chris Sangrides. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Sangrides, yeah. Yeah, Sangrides. Yeah. I, I can never pronounce that guy's name right. Um, he uh, produced that album, I think, I want to say. But, yeah, that was a great time for Michael Butler to be to get in the band. So it was like uh, Gary saw him play somewhere at, or – Somehow he got the addition and he came in and it was like, you know, rock and roll, punk rock bass player with his, you know, bass dragging the ground, running all over the place uh, in Exodus. And they're like, whoa, this guy's got something going on, man. Compared yeah. to Robbie uh, McKillop was the other bass yeah. player, Robbie, a great bass player too, but yeah. just stood there. And Robbie wanted to get out of music. He was kind of done with it. And then that's when Michael Butler got into Exodus, man. And uh, yeah. did that album and uh, toured the world with them. And uh I think they went on. I think that's when they opened up for. I think they did open up for Sabbath on the Dehumanizer tour with okay. Dio. They supported wow. that yeah. tour in the states, man. Wow, wow that's legend. That's not yeah. bad. That's not a bad feather in Michael's yeah. cap. I have a question about Michael. Was he in Jet Boy? At yeah, any point? when Jet Boy got back together, like all the bands are getting back together. You know, um, and doing this sort of stuff. Jet Boy got to back together. And Jet Boy got back together while the Butlers was happening. Okay. So um, uh, he was there. And he, Billy already played with Michael in American Heartbreak. So, right. yeah, he, he had him in Jet Boy for a while. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then they uh, moved on and got some. Because it's, it's, it's been about 10, maybe 13 years ago. Shit, maybe longer. Uh, Broken Teeth did a gig with Jet Boy in uh, Fort Worth, Dallas, uh, and that's the last, until recently, that's the last time I had had a in-person conversation with Billy, and uh, Michael was there, and I didn't really officially meet him, but I, I was hanging out with Michael. I don't know if he remembers that, but... Uh, uh, he's got a good memory, especially awesome. if you guys are talking about... Yeah, and that sounds like yeah. it probably would have been 10-ish, 11 Yeah years ago something like yeah, that jet boy was doing a run they were doing yeah. a run of shows and they came through texas and i was fortunate yeah. to just yep. to be on the bill it was awesome it was awesome teeth man so you sent me those records i really dig them it reminds me kind of like a you know motorheady rose tattoo i mean you, you know you, you know you wear yeah. your influences on your sleeve just good good hard rock band yeah so is that band still active we are uh only inactive until <clears throat> we're not <laughs> We uh we we kind of go with the seasons, but things have been really weird with the you know the starting of the lockdown, and then um, you know uh, some of us were were well. My guitar player Jared, who's a producer of of this show, uh, Jared Tutin, um, he uh, got like a rigging, like it's a he he's really smart, genius kind of a guy, hell of a guitar player, yada yada. I could. We could talk about him for an hour, but um, he has a gig where he travels now, and he had to get – he was – the dude has a Grammy. The guy works with Charlie Sexton and Jimmy Vaughn and all these badass Texas uh, people in bl- blues scene and stuff, right? Billy Gibbons, works with Billy Gibbons and shit yeah. like that. So 
holy Christ, right? So, but he had to get like a different because of lockdown and everything. Music took a plunge, you know. Had to he had was sitting around waiting, you know. So, um, so that slowed everything down for a lot of us actually. Um, and we ha- we wrote some skeletons during this strange time. We have some skeletons of broken teeth songs that. Me and Jared still threaten each other. We got to get in a room and flush some of these out and force ourselves to make a new teeth record. So, two guitar players. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, they played in. uh, When when I heard that stuff, man, I was like, I can play a fucking guitar in this band. Oh yeah, we. (laughs) I know. I I listen to my toes, but if somebody, if someone can't make it, call me, Jason. I'll be there. (laughs) They they did play. uh, They played last December uh, with Junkyard. And that, but that was the first time in like two years or yeah, something. A couple like months that. ago, we did two shows with Junkyard down here, and it was yeah, fucking yeah, awesome. It was awesome. Nice matchup. Nice matchup. Yeah. Good times. So, uh, Craig, you've also spent some time with uh, Davy Vane. T- tell us a little bit about that uh, time period, because it was, I think it was in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. So it's, it's kind of after the no respect era and the and the stuff that was on MTV and that sort of thing. So take us back to your time in 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 vain and and tell us what you recorded, if anything, and what you, what you did as far as touring and just kind of spell out that time period for us. Yeah, well, um, I was. I always thought, by the way, I always thought Davy Vane was one of the 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 great underrated frontmen. You know, I, I thought he was a great front man i don't know that he had the greatest voice but a lot of great front men don't have a great voice but he's like one of those guys hey, i'm, if I'm sitting right a... here dude be cool <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not saying Dave davy has a bad voice i'm just saying that i think his strength is his 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 uh stage presence and songwriting um, and songwriting yeah like he's his primary songwriter um and um uh, and Davey has a very unique voice. Um, yeah. When you hear Davey Bain, you know it's Davey Bain. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he's got a unique voice, um, uh, good range. And uh, yeah, he's got his own style and uh, definitely a great frontman. And Bain, you know, another uh, considered glam band, but I mean, a hard, hard rock band. I, yeah. Mean, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, they're heavy, man. Got some, you know, a sense of, you know, as far as that sort of genre goes. His voice re- reminds me a little bit of Andy <laughs> Wood, Mother Love Bomb. Yeah, bit. yeah, he's got a unique tone for sure. He's got his own thing. But yeah, I it was I was I wasn't doing too much. I think I was coming out of like um, around that time. Uh, what was I doing? I was I had a band uh, called Trouble Horse. It was like a rock band that was playing around. We we're playing the circuit, just Bay Area stuff. And I was looking to kind of do something else. I, you know, at that point, I wanted to play in like two or three bands or whatever, you know, like I, like you do. How many bands are you in now? Ten. He just started another one while yeah, we were doing this podcast. Uh, I'm not, I, I stopped right, counting uh, about thirty years uh, ago. Uh, well, I uh, <laughs> so I put an ad out, and I go, I, I, I never done this. I, I was put, I was always putting ads out, looking for somebody or singer or something like that, whether it be for ruffians or whatever. Um, and I said, hey, my guitar player just I, you know, wants to you know, play these influences. And so um, look, look, looking for people to jam with, do, do something with, right? And I said, I'm just going to do that and just see what, how it happens. And so uh, this guy calls me up and we're talking on the phone and we're just kind of connecting. And 
took like about 10 minutes in the conversation and his voice just kind of sounded or his delivery. I mean, I'd seen Davey in a while mm-hmm. and I'd known him from the stone days kind of hanging out because, you know, the heavy metal guys would go to the glam shows because that's where the chicks were. And everybody, everybody was a melting pot of hanging out yeah. at other people's shows, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, the mentors or the vein or, or, uh, you know, vicious talk about, rules, talk right? about a mixer. Yeah, it was everybody mixed up here. Mentors in vain on tour now. Yeah, yeah. I already knew those guys. I had I had beers with with them, you know. And so, um, so we start talking like, "Hey, man, and you know, you sound familiar." I don't know who said it first, me or Davey. And then, and then, uh, and Davey goes, "Oh, I think he didn't want to let on." He goes, "Oh, man, well, this is Davey, Davey Vane, playing." you know, vain. I go, Oh, this is Craig, man, from ruffians. He's all no way, man. And so, you know, 10 minutes in the conversation. So he goes, well, dude, come over here and let's jam. I'm doing like a solo thing. And I said, well, right on. So he was doing a solo thing and we started uh, playing and just, it just worked out, man. It was uh, him and Ashley uh, Mitchell, the bass player from Bane and a drummer named Louie and Davey was singing and he was playing guitar too. And so, um, so we just start jamming. It was so easy just to jam. And uh, so Davey was recording his album, um, uh, solo album, Out of, Out of Nowhere, In From Out of Nowhere. In, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And so I play, I play a lot on that album. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, Rhythm Stuff lead work. And then we started playing out. And we were going down, playing around the here and go to L.A., play Dragonfly with um, – uh, Tammy from Fast Pussycat had a band. I can't remember what the name of his band was then. Yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, we're playing, we're playing around and just having fun. And then, um, wasn't it called the newly deads? Uh, something, man. This was like early two thousands. Maybe. Yeah. He had a yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're like doing a goth thing or something. Yeah. That's of, it. Yeah, that, that, the newly deads. Yeah. yeah. And so we started playing shows and just having fun. And then, um, I was in, um, I was still kind of playing that band Trouble Horse and I had ruffians were starting to get going right around the time because this is 2003, 2004 or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, at that point I was in three bands and then Vane, Davey was like, well, hey man, let's start getting, he got um, another guitar player, Shawnee, uh, Sean Rory, Sean Rory, I can't think of his last name. I don't see these guys all the time. Uh, Sean Rory, I think is his last name. He played in Road Crew with um davy and steve adler mm-hmm. so sean comes in the band and we became a five piece and we start playing more vain songs mm-hmm. and then we start going to la playing around doing doing stuff like that and then um sean leaves and then we get jamie scott to come in at the time who's the vain guitar player mm-hmm. and uh then we then davy labeled the band vain and um so we started playing around and then um, I just ruffians was kind of happening, uh, going to go to Europe and do stuff. And I just had too much going on. So I had left that and, um, I know it worked out cause they would have kicked me out later because right around the corner was bands reunited mm-hmm. and Bane got Danny, they got Tommy, they got the original lineup back and they started mm-hmm. playing and doing the thing like that. So, yeah. so, so it all worked out and, it um, and t- uh, Tommy Ricard, um, the drummer for Vane, he plays drums in the Butlers. Oh, yeah, we have two drummers, him and Andy Gallion from Death Angel. So, total wow. Bay Area thing, the camaraderie of everybody playing together. You know, yeah, so I, I saw I saw Vane. Um, it must have been the No Respect tour, 
and uh, I saw them in a club with Spread Eagle, and I, I and I'd seen them on MTV, of course, and because you know they had the the videos for Who's Watching You and Beat the Bullet, and I I always thought that was one of those bands that had all the ingredients to make it, you know, which is why I'm curious to know your history with Davey because that's one of the many bands that I thought had uh what it took to kind of rise to the next level you know but you know the the business is cruel as everyone here in this room knows but anyway i i always thought i always had respect for davy and, and the band i remember ashley and i thought they put on a great show and they had a great image and they had a lot of energy and they just kind of had they were right up my alley you know <laughs> and uh and to this day i still listen to the no respect record and i know a lot of uh, a lot of my friends hold that record in high regard too. Classic. I think it's I think it's cool that you that you are kind of uh, I don't know if renaissance man is the right word. You in your and I wouldn't call you a whore. Uh but I, but I like it. <laughs> but it's, okay, it's somewhere okay. it's, it's somewhere in between. <laughs> but but you know where I'm going with this. I like it that you uh are just a rock and roll guy like we are and that you have this sort of like I don't know if it's uh, aura or natural magnetism to um, you, you need a guitar player I can I can be there for you right uh, as well as you have kind of your own way and you you seem to just even just just hanging with you you seem to kind of have your own way anyway but you can splinter up hey I'll be right back I swear I'll be right back and you can go do a couple of things and at least help somebody out and even fucking maybe even inspire them to roll to roll and get you know get their snowball happening and then you're like you guys are fine i'm gonna go back and do my thing i'll see you next time and and it seems to just from hanging with you it seems to be this thing when you when you go from you know uh Sorry, not in order. Ruffians, Las Rocket, whatever, right? You have all this stuff that you, uh, that's like these, just these things, kind of like your heroes framed on the back. You have these um, feathers in your hat, these things that you love. And because you love uh, rock and roll, just like, you know, we're super nerds for it, um, it doesn't surprise me that you've just been able to be this happy guy you're happily married you've been married a long time too haven't you yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah like uh 25 plus years so amazing uh, yeah yeah uh says a lot anyway. man says a lot about about how real you are so it's impressive dude it's well good. i think we're we're, we're we're kind of cut from the same cloth jason i mean you know dude i mean we love rock and roll we love heavy metal and uh and so when you know someone like you know hey i want to play with davy vane um, you know, where I was in Ruffians, the heavy metal band from the Bay Area, but we're going to go play with the glam guy. Hey, man, I, this guy's a talented guy, man. I want to, I want to play and see where, where this, ha- what happens with yeah. this. And, uh, and just to do different things, you know, heavy metal, rock and roll, um, you know, played a two bit thief with, uh, Andy, Andy yeah. Anderson. And, I was, uh, I, was, was pen, like a- I was pen pals with Andy for many years. I have like old flyers with handwritten letters from him from years yeah. ago man we did how's he how's he doing know, what, like what is andy pump. doing right now what is andy doing he's he's uh, uh happily married he's got a daughter uh he just uh you know he's done a lot man he's done a lot of albums with attitude at, you know um yeah. 
you know, Tuba Thief, he's, he's written a couple books. Yeah. Um, uh, whatever Andy decides to do, he does. And he's done a lot. And I think uh, he's just, uh, he's family man, man, concentrating on, on his, cool. uh, on his daughter and, and uh, he's kind of laying low. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, please tell him that I said hi because we were just pen pals. We, yeah. I think he was at that Watchtower show we played at the Mab or Dion Broadway back in '86. But it was the only time I I feel like I've ever met him face to face. But pen yeah. pal, you know, that's one of those weird things. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like I, I want to talk talk about the story about <clears throat> people should probably take their their kids out of the room. Um, <laughs> I was on tour. Well, it's just it's it's it has drugs involved. Um, we were. I was on tour with Priest and Cooper, the Operation Rock and Roll tour thing. And what's in, what's the name of the venue? Shoreline. Shoreline Amphitheater. Shoreline. And I'm just gonna be total fanboy here for a second. It was awesome that you were there because I knew who you were, of course. But dude. It's like I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with Kirk Hammett and Gary Holt and, uh, uh, you know, just Testament dudes. And it was, I was just like going, holy shit. I'm, this is like the candy store of thrash metal in the Bay Area. And I'm about to do a gig. And these guys, just knowing that these guys are in the house, freaked yeah. me out. And, we're all just uh, out next to each other drinking. Hey, you know, we all know each other since we're kids. And then, and then, uh, uh, yeah. All right, man. We're going to see uh, dangerous toys. <laughs> crazy, crazy. <laughs> not in my wildest. I couldn't have written that story. I could not have written it. And I didn't know who was going to be there. I didn't, hell, I may have forgotten for a second. I was near the Bay. You know, I, I, I didn't, I knew I was in California. I knew I was in Northern California, but how far is the city from shoreline from that from yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that place is like down in the peninsula so it's like in silicon valley so to speak okay they call um probably about like um yeah it's like 30 minutes south of san francisco oh that's not terrible okay yeah, not terrible. but you know it's so funny i was reflecting on, on like kind of how we met right and i remember i was at the cat club okay in the 80s um i was cat just house cat house cat house, house. Cat house yeah. in LA, late 80s i was with my buddy uh kent he's like total underground metal fan does all, all the metal gotta have and him on the show we're sitting there at the bar you're standing there and then he's all hey man that's the singer from watchtower like you know how do you know stuff back then there's no internet there's no computer man fan yeah, i'm gonna say something yeah. nerd alert nerd, yeah. nerd alert yeah. <laughs> so we're sitting there and then he goes and then he, and he goes hey Jason, you look over and he and under, underneath his sweater, he pulls up his shirt. He's got a watchtower shirt, like like fucking like the first ones that were ever made or something, right? And so and so and you're like and you're like, whoa, no way, dude! That's like OG fucking watchtower shirt. Mind, mind blown, mind yeah. blown. I'm a I'm thousands of miles away from home in a total fish out of water because I was so green. I was still green as far as like the whole hard rock scene because I. Because you know where I come from. It's that underground right. thrash thing. And here I am in a hard rock band overnight, literally overnight, about to make a record. And I'm in L.A. And then I'm seeing dudes wearing Watchtower shirts. Yeah, right, what right. Exactly. It was a, another universe, man. It fucked me up. And that's, and you you just, just been to L.A. And then so um, we all connected, man. We started talking metal yeah. kind of. And I remember like, you know, hey, man, what you did, like, well, let's stay in touch or something. And, you know, grab the, uh, you know, the book of matches, ask the bartender for a pen, write down your phone number and you got to hope, you know, 
uh, don't want to lose this match book. And that guy's cool. We need to, you know, and somehow I don't know, dude, how it happened. Phone, this and that. Yep. Talk once in a blue moon. Yeah. Um, sent you a thin, got your address, sent you a thin Lizzy shirt, like back yes. in the late eighties or yeah. something. I've made like 10 Thin Lizzy shirts when you couldn't even find a Thin Lizzy shirt, right? Yeah, I think it was they like- pass them out to your friends, you know? Uh, and yeah. um, and then and then you uh, come through on that tour with Dangerous Toys, Dallas Cooper tour. Correct. I don't know how we got in touch with each other, bro. Uh, did you, no, you have you the were same just, phone number? You were just there and you had and, a joint. I think I know, but I thought I talked to you beforehand or something. I don't know. Because I think Possible. you brought me in. And we're on the bus, hanging out on your bus. Yeah. And you're telling me, you knew somebody had just bought or got Brian Robinson's Les Black Les Paul with the Ambo case or oh, okay. story like that. And it was wow. like, you know, I don't know what a it was. A story I don't even remember now, but you're not, you're probably not wrong. So yeah, you would probably it was remember something like that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And then, so I just feel like we don't see each other much, but then I, and I ran into you in Austin at, at, at Stubbs and Motorhead and uh, mm-hmm. played with um, National Pussy. Yes. And like, oh, dude. And we just happened to run into each other. But uh, yeah, so the Cosmos lineup, but uh, but yeah, man, it's like I said, we got geography against us. I, I know we'd be hanging out a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Jason tells me that, uh, is it fair to say you're 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 pretty obsessed with Thin Lizzy and UFO? Yeah, he's got it right. Those are uh, okay. I would put those two bands uh, as my top two favorite bands. Uh, so, that's what I thought. I knew. So I knew. Uh, the, I knew that about Thin Lizzy. I mean, um, even when I heard Jailbreak on the radio on AM radio when I was a kid, that's the first Thin Lizzy I heard. I'm just like the word Jailbreak, and it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, there's a Jailbreak tonight, man. I was just like, whoa. I mean, I was probably like, you know, 14 years old, you know. And then you go get the boys are back in town, and you slow do the slow burn, learning more about them and yeah. uh, twin guitars, harmonies. I mean, it just stuff just grabbed me, man. I couldn't believe the sound and Phil's voice. It was just so heartwarming. And like all the great bands, you have heavy, you have slow songs, man. Those are all the bands that we like. And um, yeah, that was uh, really like the band. Ruffians adapted a lot of harmony guitars, you know, uh, in, you know, in, in the tunes and the, and UFO. I mean. Uh, the drummer from Ruffians, Luke Bowman, he had an older brother. He turned us on to Obsession right when it came out and, and took us down to see UFO in 1978 down at the, the Stanford campus on the, their ba- basketball gym. And it was a band called Sea Level opened up, UFO, and then Atlanta Rhythm Section. And we wow. saw UFO, and there was this guy that was like with a flying bee in between his legs, a white bee with his head down. And, and it was like, he came down from the gods or something. And, uh, and I just seeing Michael Schenker and UFO and I was totally hit to that obsession album ever since then, man, I just, I followed them every step of the way. And, uh, you know, that was the one time I saw him with, with Michael, you know, other than them getting together later on, but yeah. But yeah, UFO. I mean, like, how do you categorize them? Are they rock? They're hard. They're hard. They're hard rock, right? You know. I mean, yeah. They're not. But sometimes they get lumped in with heavy metal. But yeah. um, but yeah, man, I I love those bands. Of course, Zeppelin is like one of all time faves. And um, what's your favorite Thin Lizzy deep cut? Ah, uh, dude. I mean, <laughs> I, that's a, such a trick question. Can't, I mean, can't I, be done. I mean, like you know, you could say for heavy stuff, you could say Opium Trail. Or um, 
you could say like fool's gold man off mm. johnny and the fox i mean that's a great song yeah uh, I, you know where i'm going with this i know yeah I've always liked Borderline. I thought that was a great song. Of Johnny and the Fox, yeah. That's, yeah. That's Johnny fun. and the Fox is probably my favorite album by them. Um, of course, it probably changes every day, but that is one solid record. You know, I know Jailbreak gets all the attention, and rightfully so. It's a great record, but Johnny the Fox, man, that's a magical album. Yeah, it came out right after Jailbreak. Those two albums came out the same year, 76. Yeah. And if I could turn my computer around, you'd see my uh, signed... Jim Fitzpatrick, a litho of Johnny wow. Fox album right above me. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. If I picked up the computer, I'm sure I'd lose connection. Well, you can, you can snap a photo of it and you can email it to us and we can, we can put it on our intro. I dig it. We, we do, we do, in post, we do an intro for you where you leave the room and me and Dave talk shit about you and we show, yeah, right. we show a photo. <laughs> but, but you can't talk shit about me because I threw out some pretty good, uh, uh, Lizzie tracks there and, and, and yeah, you did. true. Yeah, yeah True. Yeah, you did. All right. Uh, same is not literal. So same same question, um, but with UFO, favorite UFO deep cut. Uh, oh man, I would have to say, um, I mean, they, they change like they change weekly, man. I mean, I was getting into um I mean, Reasons Love off No Heavy Petting. I mean, the solo stuff in that, I mean, that's just one of my favorite deep tracks. Uh, Martian Landscape off that album's insane. Um, but, you know, uh, Born to Lose off Obsession, like a slow oh, song like that, God. is just like insane. Um, yeah. But Pack It Up and Go, man, that's like, you know, all that riffage he puts in in between. Uh, yeah, that's see, see, this, this, is, this is the impact, back this is the mark of a great band uh, when you can't you know you can't pinpoint uh, you, you you ask a question like that and it's impossible to answer. That's the mark of a great band, and it's not. And both of those bands, as you said, Craig, they're great at uh, they're great at the heavy stuff. They're great at the middle of the road hard rock stuff, and then they'll just turn around and break your heart with the slow stuff, and they cover it all. You know. One of my favorite deep tracks by UFO is off the Mechanics record. Uh, I love that ballad, uh, Terry. Terry. Yeah. Dude. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a first, that's a first for me to ever hear anyone go that I love Terry. I, I've mentioned Terry. that on this show before oh. because one of our listeners commented and said, I can't believe someone else loves that song because I love it. That, that uh, oh. woman, Eve. Eve, I think her last name is Alan, and she's the one that wrote the little essay about the the podcast. Oh, right, man! But she cool. loves uh, UFO and loves that song in particular, and couldn't believe that somebody else even uttered those words. But oh, that's yeah. that's pretty deep track, and and Paul yeah. Chapman, man, I mean, what a fucking guitar player! And it was yeah. hard for a lot of people, you know, to accept Chapman, but he came in and and I mean, God, he delivered, you know. Um, yeah, and you know, he he, he played with UFO, uh, Dave, uh, uh, Paul Chapman, and Michael together yeah like, around the obsession time that's right yeah. It, yeah. And, and and then paul paul just realized hey this is a this is a one guitar player band and uh and moved on so paul was in the fold with ufo for years mm -hmm. and um uh yeah we should just do a ufo uh podcast man sometime i'm surprised <laughs> right. someone hadn't done it yet uh right. you know what that that's we did, we did, what, we did what was zetro actually uh me, me and zetro from exodus i saw you i saw you on his uh podcast uh what's it zetro's vault 
Let's yeah, we, we did it. We do an artist spotlight. We, we broke down all the UFO albums. But you uh, did a Judas Priest one, too, and that's the one, one that I did, saw. Yeah, and we just did a Maiden one that's going to air sometime soon. So I, I have fun. We've known each other for years, man. So yeah, tell us, about, tell us about Steve. Tell us about that guy, man. How is that yeah. guy? He's good, man. He's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, Exodus has a new album coming out. and uh, It's already out. Oh, yeah, it just came out, just came out. And uh, he's totally stoked. He thinks he, he sounds, uh, it's just one, one of the best albums that he ever did with Exodus. And uh, I've heard a couple songs and it, my head split open and I had to staple it back together. Dude, dude, we went up to, uh, we went to Gary, <laughs> right, when, right when things started lightening up in May, uh, last May, um, uh, last year, we went up to Gary, Gary Holt's house. He had a birthday party. So we all went up, man, to his, he bought a new house up north. It's great. Awesome. And we sat in the living room and he just he played us the whole fucking album. And the opening track, uh, uh, I forget the name of it, man, but it's like, it, I don't know, dude. It's like it's like eight minutes long or something like that. And it has all these different sort of like, you know, it has some time, different time signatures, a key change that sneaks into the key change. And I just looked at Gary, that's just fucking insane. He goes, yeah, he goes, you got to get through that first song if you want the rest of the album. So <laughs> you got to get through, you got to get through like eight or nine minutes of this first track and then you can have the album. <laughs> yeah. My son got that record for Christmas and it's, it's amazing. You know? What's the, what's the album title? I want, I want to. Persona non grata. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah. it's a uh, cool, cool title, man. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's already made uh, the top of, you know, a lot of music critics, you know, best albums of the year or must have albums or whatever you want to call it. It's gotten a lot of critical praise. I think the Testament, the, I think the Testament record at, that came out like top of the, the lockdown, top of the pandemic. I can't remember the title. That one, as well as this Exodus record are like, Bay Area thrash god worthy of trophies and crowns. <laughs> Both yeah. of those fucking records Both. are, Both you know, relevant. they came out. Both, like you used the word relevant, man. Both those two bands yeah. are putting out stuff right now, and it's as good as anything that they ever put out, man. Or, uh, or, or topping it. Yeah, topping it. Titans of Creation, I think, That's is it. the decimal yeah. one. And, the, and, and, uh, and Gary's songwriting just, I mean, he doesn't stop, dude. I mean, he just gets no. better all the time. And uh, God damn. Yeah, I, can't, I can't say nothing, enough good things about both those bands. And oh. it's just, I mean, just all, all those guys in both those bands are, I mean, they're my bros, man. I mean, I'm just so happy for them, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about murder in the front row. So I just happen to have mine <laughs> right here. He um, sleeps with it under his pillow. Yep. So, Carrie, it's just pulled it out of my back pocket. Um, we had Harry O on the show, and we we got to see and hear the ultimate Harry O. He was awesome. Um, <laughs> it, it was incredible just to hang out with that guy for a couple hours. And I know we could have gone like another three or four hours with the guy because, as I don't have to tell you, um, the guy is just insane for rock and roll, and he – He's he's front row Joe. You know, he's that guy. He's the camera in the band's face. He's, the, as you know, and I think that it's obviously a result uh, between him and his cohorts that this uh, book and the movie ever happened. But you are fairly prominent within the movie and you, you make appearances. Um, what was it like and and you know, tell us 
about you know them asking you the questions they ask. I don't have anything specific. Um, what do you think of this? Or, I mean, you have to be just super proud to just be, this is your backyard, dude. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, those guys were there, Brian and, and Harold were there. They had cameras. They weren't there as photographers. No. Like we're taking killer photos of these bands live. <laughs> they were there to capture just there, pull out a camera, dude. We're at a Kager or, or, you know, the bands are playing or we're backstage. They were there, man. And, and thank God that they had the cameras, you know, in their hand. And um, I've known uh, Harold for years, man. I mean, well over 35 years. And uh, I didn't know Brian that well because uh, Harold went to all the shows. Yeah. You know, and I think Brian was very more particular the shows that he went to. Very, it's very thrash, very metal. Um, huge Exodus fan, huge Metallica fan. Yes. You know, and uh, you know, like the other thrash bands as well. But um, I think Harry gave gave Brian that that sort of like tag. He said he said Brian was he was into this and this and this. But I'm just like crazy Harry. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. Harold O loves all all genres. I don't care what it is, man. He's just, I mean, he loves, you know, all the classic shit that we do. Well, you know, yeah. we talked 30 minutes about Rush and Primus and Les Claypool and, you know, all that shit. So Yeah, but those, so I think, um, you know, those guys put the book out. And then, um, and then uh, Adam, uh, the guy who produced it, um, he saw, um, uh, he saw a story in it. So they wanted to put out um, the movie, you know? Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, it just, it's, it just kind of turned into its own thing. It just captures a sort of time and space in the Bay Area, I guess, from like the, you know, maybe 1982 to 85 kind of thing. I think they kind of stopped right around when, uh, you know, Cliff passed away. So, um, but yeah, it definitely captures that. I mean, and, uh, it captures all the thrash bands, I think, you know, and there's a couple photos of, uh, of me in there just kind of raging with the guys and a couple of fun stuff. There's that classic centerfold photo with Andy Anderson upside down yep. with Cliff and me. And, um, yeah, there's a few other, uh, it's just people hanging out. That was that was like standing outside of Ruthie's Den at the end of a show. God knows who played, but that was just hanging out outside. Like, okay, where are we going to go now? Where's the party, right? The after party. And uh, that's what it was like, man. Everybody's hanging out on the street, getting wild and, and uh, having a good time. How, how well did you know Cliff? You know, out of all those guys, I didn't really know Cliff that well. Um, my wife, she knew him better. Uh, but... Um, uh, interesting enough, him being from, you know, here, um, I, I saw him play with trauma and, um, and, uh, yeah, not many people get to say that. Yeah. yeah. So I remember seeing trauma, like, yeah, this guy, in a, you know, cowboy shirt with smiley faces, bell bottoms on just like this with a Rickenbacker, like, who's that guy, man? Like playing the, playing the, 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 the solo track, you know, anesthesia in trauma. That was, they played that, you know? Yeah. And I remember seeing that going, fuck, man, this guy's insane. And so, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, we hang out a few times, you know, small talk, stuff like that. Didn't really know him that well. Um, of course, you know, me and Kirk are, are, are friends and I know knew him from Exodus and, uh, and, and all that and him going into Metallica and, and, uh, 
yeah, know him more and uh, and uh, hung out with James and Lars uh, more than Cliff. I think, you know, Cliff was a little bit more, uh, yeah, he was, uh, I don't know, just not a little bit more of an introvert than extrovert, you know, yeah, out, out gotcha. of all those guys. Gotcha. So you're, you're friends with uh, Kirk and and James and Lars well before they're this international juggernaut. And and I assume you're still friends with them to this day. Um, well, we don't talk. We don't, well, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm guys that we go to one of their shows or, you know, get invited to one of the shows or something like that. Um, yeah. They, we, we talk and, and, they're, and they're gracious and, uh, and, and sweet, super nice guys, man. Yeah, I, that's what I was getting at. I, I'm I'm sure you, you don't speak to them on a weekly basis or anything anymore, but I'm trying to get a sense of what is it like for you to watch the, these friends of yours just explode into this. I mean, we might never see another metal band at that level again in our lifetime, you know, and it's just it's it's just this juggernaut, this international phenomenon. And it's got to be so weird to know. I mean, that'd be like me, you know, being friends with Jason. If one of his bands became the next Iron Maiden or Metallica or something like that, I'm talking beyond like a Judas Priest. <laughs> I'm talking above that, you know, that's just like, it's, un- it's unimaginable. So what, well, what is I it? Think, like? I think you put it in the right, you say like, well, you know, if Jason, you know, one of your best bros band became, you know the biggest thing since sliced bread or whatever it would still be your friend jason right i mean yeah you, of course you, you know, so it'd be hard for you to put it into um uh you know sort of context how how big they are right you'd have to ask somebody else like are, are they really that big are they really the biggest biggest right. in the world okay. you know okay so so i look at it like you know you see them and, and you're always rooting for the home team and you're like proud of them. You're listening to their tunes. I mean, you're listening to the stuff that as it's coming out, man, and like going, wow, dude, ride the lightning. Now, these guys are getting better, man. Like master puppets. Like, whoa, these guys are like, it, they're really like something's going on. They're collaborating more and you can hear it. And, and so you're listening to it and, and, um, and uh, this is what they do. And you see them just becoming better musicians first and foremost i think is where it strikes a chord with you you're, you're listening to musicianship but you're also seeing them like playing these shows oh dude they got the they got the opening spot for the aussie gig like killer and uh and 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 so on and so on you know they they, they keep getting bigger and uh but at the same time you know you get face to face with them you're just kind of hey what's up man you're like yeah i mean that that's well said. You're, that, you're, that's, you're still you're still kind of at the Kager party in some ways, and and um, uh, but yeah, like when they got back together and uh, those guys did um, uh, what got back together? They they did um, not they ever been broke up. They they uh, did those thirty anniversary shows yeah. and all that, and everybody was just everybody kind of came and hung out, and yeah. then they did um, record store day, and after record store day we all went back to um, the Metallica house on Carlson yeah. and they rented out the house there and, uh, and we're there and we're just kind of like hanging out at the house again, kind of, you know? That's awesome. And so it's, uh, it's pretty neat, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're like the, um, there's photos floating around of that day of like, you know, the old gang hanging out by where the garage used to be, where they wrote yeah. all the kick-ass shit and, yeah. and like super old school and everyone still looks pretty good. 
you know, they're not 17 anymore. They're 40, you know, 50, yeah, exactly. 55, you know. Yeah. We're still alive. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Can still walk. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I, I think that's what I was, that's what I was trying to ask. You did a better job of answering it than I did of asking it. And, it, and, and what I was trying to get at, cause you, you're, you, you have a very unique perspective on that rise to the level they are the rest of the yeah, world. And, and, you know, Harry, Harry did too. Re- respect to yeah. Harry by way of the same sort of, you know, right. That's Harry, kind what of do what you think of this? It's like, oh man, it's fucking mind blowing. But yeah, you know, right. when they the see of, me, the rest of us know who they are. It's a high five now, but that's cool. Yeah, the rest yeah. of us know who they are, obviously, as outsiders. But you kind of have this unique perspective in the sense that you 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 saw the growth from the ground level up. A lot of the world didn't even catch up to them until Master of Puppets, you know, or and then, or later even, or later, yeah. And, you know, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, so we were lucky enough to have a local DJ who was playing Kill Em All. So I feel like I kind of got in on the early level, but I didn't get in on the level that you got in on. And that's kind of what I'm saying is what is it like from your perspective as someone who knew them in the clubs, knew them as friends, and then just watched this, you know, this this rocket ride go to go to heights that – you know, we'll probably never see again as, as far as a metal band. Yeah. I, I mean, I just like it it when you for the home team, man, just, just super proud of them and, and, and just following along, you know, along, along the way, uh, you know, their whole career. And uh, it did, you know, pull this, you know, and you can't escape Metallica now, man. I mean, no. it doesn't matter whether you see they sold their font, you know, whatever. You see their font yeah. somewhere on something else or you're on TV or you turn around and, and it's just like me and my wife like each other, you know, who is this band Metallica? And why do they keep following me, man? <laughs> They'll never go away. Metallica is uh, stalking Craig. Yeah, yeah. stalking the world um, as it should be um, because yeah. they're just fucking great, man. And um, and I I just can't, you know, they, they did the thing I was trying to get at was like they, they do they did the record short thing that we went back to the house and they invited. Uh, certain people they always have a certain amount of people that they have uh for the fan club you know maybe it'd be a lotto for the fan club lottery to get into something that special but they always do these things for their fans and they're like they're humanitarians man i call it the fifth member program i think that it's similar to that you have fifth member uh membership yeah i love where you're going craig special stuff man and uh and they get back and they have all within my hands this foundation and they, they play shows and they, they're maybe a hunger bank that they're playing in some city um, somewhere in America. And they give a lot of money to the, the, the hunger bank program. They do stuff for like, you know, the count, you know, the county of Marin, where, where, where they're from. And they're just giving back to the community, man. And it's yeah. just great. And I saw them, they played um, the independent. It's like 400, 500 seat club in the city. Nice. That's last October. Right before they were getting ramped up to, to go play some festivals and stuff, maybe it was—I think it was maybe October—and um, and so uh, I went and saw that, and uh, they were—they did that. And they did it oh, at the Metro in Chicago too. They did two shows. Oh, cool! And yeah. and, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, they're all fired up. Kirk you know, was just ex- so excited now. They, you know, they—I mean, all because they hadn't played since the pandemic, and then they come back the streets of San Francisco in a club. Like the old days, you know, half stacks set up, four guys in a row in your face playing, and it was it was like what you remember seeing a man like 
it was it was pretty intense. It was That'd really awesome. I saw some pictures from uh, the Metro uh, show, and it was pretty much how you described it. And I believe that the sort of like Metalla Festival was called something like uh, uh, San Francisco Takeover or City Takeover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that like was that. that was something that they did. Lay um, uh, they did that in December. Where okay. they played two nights at the Chase Center. Correct. Where the, where the where the Warriors play, and yeah. so um, they did two nights there, and it was a Salesforce thing. And I think Kirk and the guy who owns Salesforce, you know, he's some like you know, ten time billionaire or whatever. He, um, he he they put that on Salesforce does. So I think that's how the Metallica connect, connection was there. Um, I, I don't know, but I want to say that you know, there, there's ties and they're friends. So um, Salesforce really put together with the Metallica organization, you know, they think they collaborated on like a Metallica takeover and it yeah, was everything yeah. from, um, you know, all within my hands foundation, cleaning up trash at the ocean to them playing the festival. And, uh, um, Russ Halfin came out for it and did a book. I mean, it was, it was all things Metallica yeah. in the Bay area, you know, as it I am be. on their, I'm on their email list. So I was like <laughs> basically clicking clickbait and reading all about what was about to go in. And there was basically a menu of shit to do that was like over a period of like five days and it was all like uh and you know this where it's uh, uh lars's kid played and james's kid played and they, you know their bands performed and there was like this list as long as my arm of restaurants you could go to that were sponsored by this thing and you know I'm glad that they're giving some of their money away because I hear when you're a billionaire, you can't spend, you, you have to give it away because you can't spend it all in this lifetime. You cannot spend it all. Well, they're doing good things with it, man. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes, they are. And I, and I love it. That, the street cred, the street cred is still there playing like, you know, the yeah. record store in Berkeley playing, yeah. going to the independent and playing the small club and doing all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, there's people out there that say, you know, whatever, you know, they get bands get too big and they have something to say, but man, those guys that you can't deny their street credibility and what they're still doing yeah. out there. Yeah. They're, they're definitely uh, still doing things that they don't have to do. And, and I think that's because deep inside, they've never really lost touch of their roots. They're, they're, they're still aware of where they came from and it's rare that somebody gets to that level and will still go play a record store or whatever, you know, play, play a club or whatever. And, uh, I mean, they're the biggest band in the universe and they're doing stuff like that. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well said Dave, for sure. Well, I like what you I like that you brought up the fact that they give so much to the food bank because every time they, they tour, uh, I've seen it here in Texas, whenever they come through, uh, there, there is, if you go online to purchase a ticket, they let you know that a portion of that proceeds from the ticket is going to feed the, you know, the homeless or is going to the local food bank or whatever. And a band of that magnitude brings in a lot of money for a cause like that. And I just can't say enough great things about them for doing something like that. It's like, it's kind of like what you said, how much money can you have? And if I've got more than I can, you know, ever spend in a lifetime my grandkids can't even spend this much money do something with it that's going to help some people out and i i give them props for that 
Well, they're they're on top of it as far as that goes. I was going to say it was going to kind of bring this down back to uh, back to Craig, and I think that it's important for our listeners to know that um, getting a you know an ins- some insight from someone who was there, ground zero, seeing these kids come up from L.A., the changes that happened. Everybody knows the story about how they see trauma. You know, James and Lars see trauma. Obviously, they didn't invite Ron to the party. They go see trauma. They see Cliff. They go, well, the only way I'm going to play in your band. Oh, and I, I, I heard Ray Burton saying, yeah, I, uh, Cliff was in his room talking to this kid from L.A. for like every night for a month. And then the next thing you know, these, these kids from L.A. moved to the Bay Area and Cliff's their new bass player you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, you were there when they arrived. Yeah, and you I heard, saw, you know, you heard all this on the street level. Well, I, the guys are coming, coming up because, you know, I hear Cliff gave them ultimatum, man. Like, you know, that's how things got people knew about things. People talked about stuff and the, you yeah. know, and things are getting embellished, of course, as it would go sure. on to the next person. Yeah. But, um, I think they would have came up here anyway. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, because when they came up, I think that they, wow, this is our people. Yeah. So uh, I just think that Cliff's ultimatum just kind of gave him a push to do it sooner than they probably would have done already. The scene in San Francisco at the time was much more Metallica oriented than open, the LA open to what they wanted to do. <laughs> exactly. Metallica, I mean, uh, yeah. And Bay Area fans, man, they're hardcore. I mean, they were just yeah. you know, San Francisco fans. I remember at the old Waldorf, all the bands would come through and Steeler uh, came through from LA, Ron Keel's band. Yeah. And uh, Inve was playing with them because Mike Varney would hook up guitar players with certain bands. And, mm-hmm. and Mike Varney hooked up Inve with Steeler and they did that first album. Steeler played the old Waldorf. And this was around, you know, 80, two or something or right around the times we're all playing the clubs too and um dude all the heavy metal kids showed up man Yngwie's coming Yngwie's coming Yngwie's coming and dude they were sitting there and when Yngwie wasn't doing a guitar solo they literally I was there people had their backs to the crowd back they had their backs they would look at Yngwie do a solo and they'd be be looking at the stage Yngwie Yngwie and then Yngwie wouldn't do a solo and they'd like turn their backs like and Ron Keel's like going what the fuck are these kids doing man and they were making a statement like we're not really about your music and this look but this we're here for this guy and I remember after that show man it was at the old Waldorf and Mike Varney and Ron Keel were kind of talking in the corner and you could see Ron Keel just kind of looking at Varney like what the fuck man like we got to get this guy. I don't good or not. He's got to get out of this band, man. This yeah. is embarrassing for us. Yeah, that's a that's that shit's real, man. I um, San Francisco, man. Hey, yeah. heavy. It, it could eat yeah. you up. Yeah, coveted uh, a coveted fanzine, Metal Mania, which was almost called Metallica. Uh, I'm sure some people know that story. Uh, yeah. Ron Quintana. Um, Metal Mania, I, that was a coveted magazine. I had to have copies of that magazine, and it wasn't real. I'm in the middle of Texas. How am I going to get this magazine? Um, you know, uh, lick a stamp, send a dollar bill. Hey, send me some, you know, what? I don't remember how I ended up with them, but. That's probably, like, how, that's, that's probably how it was. Yeah, and it was, well, you lick stamps. A dollar fifty, you put a dollar and fifty cents in there. <laughs> 
there's a slit in the bottom where the quarters fell out <laughs> yeah there's a slit in the bottom of it where the oh that Ron only good. got one dollars the united states postal service got the 50 cents that's yeah. right. <laughs> right what's this what are the, all these quarters doing on the bottom of my truck you know the postman <laughs> anyway i i remember seeing pictures of ingve from that show that you're talking about yeah in metal mania that surely were taken by ron or yeah, Harry or Brian or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. All of that. Uh, I could talk about this for days, and you guys know that I could because I am um, such a fanboy of anything Bay Area. I could talk about Journey or Santana too. So, yeah. um, the city is electric. Uh, the very little, the handful of times I've been there. You know, Watchtower, I, I went back a couple years later with the toys. Every time. It's a great, great city. I'm I'm sure there's bum camps everywhere now, and it's terrible in a lot of spots, but something is electric going on there. There's something in the water. There's a, there's a, you're definitely drinking, something in the bay is causing everyone to become an artist and be creative and uh, adapt or die. And I think that uh, a lot of magical things have happened in that city. And it's freaking awesome to talk to people like you and Harry who were there at the beginnings of these things that these two guys right here all the way down here in Texas, we're just like, oh my God, this is incredible. This, that, that, but, but whether it be a band or just an artist or a writer or a movie or, you know, Dirty Harry movies, whatever, it's fucking cool, man. So it's really awesome to talk to someone who's of the same cloth, who, um, is also in, in their right mind, uh, you know, a great artist, and great guitar player, and I'm holding up uh, Ruffian's record. I want to talk about real, real quick. Desert of Tears. Is this like a greatest hits record, or is this an well, actual release? That album was the album when we got back together in 2004. Um, we played a couple tours in Europe, and then we we did an album. We did a new album. Okay. So that album came out in 2006, and then okay. um, so, so it, yeah, it's 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 a new album. And, and the, the control other, record, um, yeah, that you have is a band um, that I had for a while with Michael Coons, this lead singer from Laws Rocket. Mm -hmm. And this, Mike was still in Laws. I was just, Ruffians had just kind of broken up. We kind of were done. So that, uh, so that was a band around 89, 90. And this is so, the Hell, Hellraiser record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was like an ACDC type band, sort of a yeah. Rhino Bucket type thing. But we, it was before Rhino Bucket. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were playing. Right and before so, Rhino Bucket. Dude, right I, before, had a, I, I had a yeah. control, I had a control demo with a green cover on cassette. Does yeah. that sound familiar to you? Probably, yeah. Well, well control, there was another control that um, Doug Piercy from Amber Force had. And that was that was before this control. But, but was uh, it an ACDC kind of disciple type yeah, they of had band? Yeah, metal band. But, uh, but, um, but the control thing was was uh, an ACDC style band. We just wanted to do something completely different. Um, and uh, so me, Mike, and a guy, a guy, a friend of mine, Phil, he was the brainchild behind that. And so um, we did that. And that album actually just came out a while back because um, Jürgen, Chomler mm -hmm. from in Germany 
um, the key player for getting all the bands together. Hi, Jurgen. Yeah, hi, Jurgen. We love you. And he put that uh, he put that out. So yeah, that's what that control thing is all about. Me and Coons, it's cool. some ACDC type style stuff. Yeah, I swear this this demo, this control demo that I got, I got it from someone in Los Angeles about nineteen ninety. Uh, sorry, nineteen eighty eight. Is that were you guys together uh, then? That would have been that would have been Doug Piercy's control. Um, but uh, but it's crazy to me. I'm sorry to keep saying this. It's crazy to me that that control was also an ACDC disciple. You know? No, had, I don't think so, man. Okay, I, then this had to be you, and it had to be. Yeah, because yeah, the band had to be nineties. Had to be you, because it was definitely ACDC control sounding band. Then, uh, uh, yeah, then then it would have been us. So, um, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. But, uh, but yeah, there's good stuff coming out of the Bay Area, man. Even now, um, you know, I, I, there's a band called Hellfire. You familiar with them? Don't know that name. No, no. I so like heavy, the name though. Heavy yeah. metal, yeah, it's Hellfire. Um, heavy metal band. Um, in tradition of like um, not not real not real heavy thrash thrash, but you know they uh, they're, they're in the thrash vein. Um, they're just good heavy metal band, good like '80s metal stuff, and um, like new wave of British heavy metal. Cool. And, and they're called Hellfire. They're 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 from the Bay Area. Uh, Death Angel took them out on tour in the states, and um, so they're really holding the torch, man, for. Um, for that style of metal that we were playing back in the eighties. So check them out. There's another band called haunt. Oh, H-A-O-T, yeah. um, for the Bay area, another metal band. So, so there's, there's something happening now too. Uh, with one uh, of, uh, haunt, one of the guys in haunt is the son of bill church. Is that right? Yeah. yeah the bass player for, bass Mont- player for Montrose. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sean wow. Weingartner is a big fan of haunt. Yeah. yeah that that's sounds what right. I heard. It's like, yeah. dude, your dad was in Montrose. I know. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah. I want, <clears throat> dude, I was hanging out with the son of the bass player from Montrose. <laughs> when I asked him about his dad, he was kind of embarrassed when I started drooling over Montrose. <laughs> <laughs> that first Montrose album could come out tomorrow and it'd be fucking timeless. Yeah. You're it's right. It's incredible. It's crazy that, uh, that, um, Sammy was only like 23 when he recorded that. Yeah. Well, it seems about right. I mean, that's, yeah. you know. Yeah. I have my my uh, CD cover. Uh, sorry, it's not vinyl, but uh, signed by Sammy, and I got to ask him. He's like, yeah, I was 23 when I made that record. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, how old were you when you made the first Toys record? 23. See, 22. And how it works, yeah. That's, yeah, it's kind of how it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, Craig, man, thank you for it's letting been great, us. Great, man. Yeah, thanks for letting us pick your brain. Um, I've said this uh, numerous times on the podcast. Um, sometimes we get people on the show that have multiple albums in my record collection, and sometimes we get people who are sort of, you know, lurking in the shadows and have been part of the scene and helped drive the engine. And uh, well, those those stories are always as interesting, if not more so to me anyway, uh, because there are the stories that nobody else has. So, well, and they're real. It's like a, like what you said, it's kind of the, you can't, you can't move your scene without muscle. You know, someone's hanging up posters and shit. Someone's printing cool t-shirts. Someone's, yeah. do, 
someone's playing the cool deep cuts. Someone is writing music that is going to help propel the band that is the opening band someday. Yeah. And, and it's always interesting when someone has a, a perspective as unique as yours, uh, when you're able to share your stories with us and, and, and we do appreciate it. Uh, I know I said this when we had Harry O on the show, I have people that I hang out with that think I have crazy stories and I'm like, I've got nothing on Harry and Craig. Kind of right. I'm sure you do. I mean, there's, there's a lot more I'm sure we could have gotten to and a few things where I kind of had to stop myself, um, from, from getting long winded, uh, a few thoughts, but, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more uh, some other time and, uh, and uh, there, there's more stories to be told, man. Yeah. Yeah. We can do this again for sure. Well, thank you for being with us today and sharing the stories that you did. And uh, if we need to do a part two, we can always look forward to doing that at some point in the future. But so pl- um, plug your plug your T-shirt printing company. Yeah, I, I, I have a real job. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad and, uh, I do, too. Uh, it, pays, it pays the bills. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So um, uh, me and my uh, uh, business partner, Aaron Jellum, you know, Laws Rocket, we yeah. keep, we're keeping it heavy metal in the That's Bay right, Area, business wise or, or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we have a screen printing business. And so we do merge tour merch for bands and stuff like that. We do uh, bands for uh, shirts for like, you know, Death Angel Testament and a lot, lot, lot of people. So yeah, man, if you need t-shirts, um, uh, hit us up. It's called TNT screen printing and uh, we're in Oakland, California and we do tour merchandise or uh, shirts for uh, your kids bar mitzvah. I mean, whatever you want. Man. Perfect. Good <laughs> nice. plug. And what, what yeah. about if people wanted to find like, uh, you know, Oh, that ruffians record, where can I get that? You know, stuff like that. How would, what's the best way for them to, to get that autographed by you? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, send a dollar 50 in an envelope. <laughs> Has to be stamped. Envelope. Have to be stamped. Because I need that fifty cents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can go out there. You can find ruffian stuff. There's um, a few labels that reissued it. Um, Like uh, there's one called um, Old School Records. There's Mm. a label called High Roller Records. Um, uh, They're out of Europe. Um, They re-released some stuff on vinyl. Um, There's uh, you can get find the old uh, SPV stuff out there. So yeah, there's still ruffian stuff out there and it's, uh, cool. the first album at some point was going for a vinyl for like $300, you know, whatever. I believe now it. as re-releases come out, it devalues that stuff a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, you can find stuff, man. And if you ever want to reach out to me, just uh, look me up. I'm easy to find and, uh, uh, be more than happy to, uh, have, uh, me and whoever else is around from the band sign your stuff. And, uh, yeah, man. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much, Craig. Thanks for being with us today. It was great picking your brain. Really enjoyed it. Hey, Dave, man, it's really nice to meet you, man. It's nice to connect. And uh, Jason, man, like I said, uh, we don't get long of time, man. I just uh, there's, there's from the day when we met, there's always kind of a connection, and uh, yeah, and uh, it's really nice to talk to you. And thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good it's to see you. you. Yeah, you look you look great. You look healthy. Um, uh, congrats to 25 years with your wife, and uh, you know, glad your business is. But how long has TNT been around? 
Uh, yeah, we've been around for uh, shit, a little over thirty years. So like, holy 19, shit, yeah, nineteen ninety. And <laughs> as long as my wife, I kind of gauge it. The day when we we started, because I was with my wife for good, you know, whatever. I don't know, five years or so before we got married. So you're doing so, stuff uh, right. You're doing stuff yeah, right, I, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric's my wife just as much as uh, my wife is. So. There you have it. He's in it for the long run. Yeah, awesome. Man. Greg, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, on behalf of myself, Metal Dave, my co-host Jason McMaster, special thanks to our guest Craig Beerhorse today on another episode of the Talk Louder podcast.